I wouldn't even know how to do that. What do you do? Just like walk up to random people and go, hey, blah, 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 sports. Dynasty Sports Empire, the podcast, a part of the DynastySportsEmpire.com podcast network. Dare I say, the flagship podcast of the Dynasty Sports Empire podcast network. We bring you the latest in sports and fantasy sports with, shall we say, a lighter approach to what most people consider a very serious undertaking. On the show today, episode 58, recap in the Super Bowl, highs and lows of the Olympics, the Harden-Simmons trade in the NBA, and MLB Panic Meter returns for its weekly segment. As always, you can email us at dsethepodcast at gmail.com, at dsepodcast on Twitter, dsethepodcast on Instagram. Rate and review us five stars on Apple Podcasts. That's the deal. To help other people find us, if you give us a five-star review, we will read it on the pod. And Spotify has ratings now, too, for podcasts, so give us five stars there, too, as well. <clears throat> With all that out of the way, excuse me. As always, I'm your host, Jeff Roman, and Tim is not alongside me tonight. Tim is on vacation today, so I decided with uh, a week off doing scheduling conflicts, drop a pod on your on your uh, feed, I guess it's called the feed, and um, just recap a couple things that have been going on, because I didn't want to let it go another week, and I have opinions. All right, so <laughs> let's start first with uh, the Super Bowl. Um so since we were off last week, it's a bit old news, the Super Bowl. It's probably been beaten, um, but just wanted to get it out there. Uh, congrats to the Rams, and obviously congrats to my brother, Zach, first and foremost, for his championship, their championship. Um, congratulations. They earned it. However, it was a bit of a weird game. Uh, close, for sure, but not that exciting. A lot of punts. Um, some very strange decisions by the refs and the teams uh, as we got close to wrap up the end of the game. First, uh, the refs. Ever since uh, the 2001 Patriots famously mugged and held the St. Louis Rams receivers in the Super Bowl, giving Brady and Belichick their first Super Bowl has been obvious to everyone that the refs don't really call judgment calls in the Super Bowl. Holding, pass interference, those sorts of calls just, just don't go. Um, this gives us a better product on the field. And if you asked anybody, you know, if they, if they wanted to have, uh, more or less flags, they would definitely say less. <laughs> um, it's a more fun game for sure, uh, to watch. Um, but it certainly does have its consequences in this game. We definitely saw the consequences right at the end of the game as the Rams, uh, final drive to get the game winning points. But let's, let's back up just a little bit flashback to the, to the first drive out of halftime, uh, T. Higgins of the Bengals pulled on Jalen Ramsey's face mask to get himself open for a long TD. It wasn't called. It wasn't super obvious um, at uh, at full speed, but you know, definitely something you would expect to be seen called in a regular season. So, um, as sometimes you see with those, I don't know if you are someone who believes in makeup calls from the referees, but. Um, it, the refs certainly gave one back to the Rams right at their most opportune time, uh, getting a very questionable and phantom holding call on Logan Wilson of the Bengals at the goal line on third down, extending their drive to win the game. Then they were offsetting penalties, a holding and a pass interference. Then a pass interference on the end zone on Eli Apple uh, to set up the first and goal. 
The downside of allowing the players to play the game and not throwing penalties is that they get increasingly bolder and bolder to see what they can get away with. Uh, the Bengals' defense was gassed on that long final drive. The Rams were even running no huddle, no huddle when they didn't need to um, fight the clock. So they were just trying to keep the Bengals on the field and trying to keep them on their on their heels. You can even see that by the fact that the Rams actually successfully had an eight-yard run. Uh, running the football was one of the things that the Rams continually did in that game to give away points to the Bengals, basically. Um, and they had a successful run on that drive. That can show you how tired the the, the Bengals defense was. So um, at, at that point, um, after that mysterious makeup call, um, let's see. I lost completely my train of thought. I lost exactly, exactly. All right. So eventually those fouls eventually became even too much for the the refs that wanted to look the other way. Um, so the Rams finished the drive after a million plays on a, on a back shoulder throw to MVP Cooper Cup. Um, in the second half, the, the matchup that all of us were highlighting before the game which was the Rams defensive line versus the Bengals offensive line uh, finally became obvious. The Rams had seven sacks in the game. It seems like to me, uh, don't fact check me, all of them came in the second half. However, um, despite all of that, the the Bengals still had the ball with a chance to tie the game at the end of the Super Bowl, which is really anything that you can ask for, right? So they reached the Rams 49 yard line with 52 seconds to go and it was second and one. Pretty good shape, right? Things look pretty good for them to get a field goal try at least, right? Their kicker has a huge leg. Um, they were probably thinking that they could get a field goal try at that point. So um, on second down, second and one, Burrow threw deep to Jamar Chase, and Chase seemed like he didn't know he was supposed to go deep. He cut the route short, so did the defender. Burrow kind of threw it into no man's land. Um, probably a miscommunication there. Um, and at the time, I, I didn't hate going for it and going for it all, going for a touchdown second and one when you have two more plays to get the first down with one yard. You would hope that you'd be able to run two plays to get one yard, but as we see, that doesn't always happen. So that wasted second one really kind of, excuse me, hurts you at that time. Um, So on third down, third and one, for some reason the Bengals decided to give the ball to Samaje Pirine on a run play, maybe the most important play of their entire season, and they give it to their fourth their fifth best player, maybe sixth uh, on offense. Um, that one made no sense to me. Aaron Donald and the Rams defensive line stopped that one uh, at the line of scrimmage. So that one went nowhere. Um, then on fourth down, Aaron Donald just did Aaron Donald things. Uh, and he gets to Burrow right as he throws and the ball falls in- innocently incomplete to Samaji P. Ryan again. Uh, the play was broken up so quickly. It wasn't really clear that the ball was supposed to go to Samaje Pirine, but it did. Um, and the play did not look good <laughs> either way. It wasn't a, uh, a an easy fourth and one conversion play. Let's let's put it that way. Um, you know, after all that, you know, the Rams get their touchdown. They get their the key stop um, from their defensive line and their star players come through. Uh, and after all that, the Rams are world champions, and I have to change the channel to keep from vomiting. As the commissioner tells ghoulish Rams owner Stan Kroenke, congratulations on the win because he did so much on the field to win the game. On to the Olympics. Let's talk about the Olympics. Oh, I guess we'll talk about the lows first. Um, so, obviously, the lows are pretty clear here. Um, the Russian Olympic Committee 
I guess we we're calling them the Russian Olympic Committee. First of all, let's talk about how ridiculous that is. The, the Russian Olympic Committee team, right, is is the team because the Russian team is banned from using their flag, their their name. I mean, their name still has Russia in it. Their uniforms or whatever, the jumpsuits that they're wearing, still have the Russian flag colors on them. I really don't see what the difference is. The punishment that they got was basically nothing. They can still compete in all the team events. They're still a team. They didn't want to punish the future athletes uh, in Russia with the ban that they they tried to put down, you know, I don't know, eight years ago, six years ago at this point. But they they did to not harm those future athletes, they did nothing. It was nothing. It's not a ban. And as you can see here, right, Russia's, uh, well, I don't know, anti-doping agency, their Olympic committee, all, all of it are, are brazenly giving drugs to 15-year-olds <laughs> so that they can compete, uh, you know, stronger and uh, go do jumps deeper in their programs. I mean, uh, I think... It's honestly a, a farce because, I mean, just think about it. Like, if you look at it, the World Anti-Doping Agency is not even really in charge. They're just in charge of synchronizing the standards across all of the anti-doping agencies in the country. Like, how is Russia in charge of policing Russia? How is the U.S. in charge of policing the U.S., right? You have to think about that there is uh, some some counter motives here <laughs> wouldn't they be uh you know incentivized in some way who knows what ways those are uh to uh help their athletes if i don't know it just doesn't make any sense to me like well, who's in charge here nobody apparently um so you know the 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 person who who came out for um the, the Russian doping scandal around the Sochi Olympics, um, Dr. Rodichinov, um, fleed, you know, uh, fleed Russia. He was, he was blamed for the, the whole thing. He fleed Russia to Los Angeles. Um, the people that he worked with mysteriously end up dead. Uh, and he comes out with this whole thing about, um, the way that they, completed their, um, swapping of, of clean urine for, for doped urine and all this stuff right under the nose of, of everybody. And they got away with it. And, you know, obviously some metals got taken away afterwards, but who cares? I don't know. Who cares if in, in the summer they say, all right, well, the USA won, uh, one team, figure skating gold instead of getting silver. Well, I don't know. What does it matter at that point? It's It's got to be taken care of at the competition, which they did not do here. So let's, 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 let's circle it back. I got way down a rabbit hole there. So, um, so they got a slap on the wrist, right? Russia did. Um, so I, I find it hard to believe that they're not inspired to push the envelope even more. So they, they're pushing the envelope here, obviously giving banned substances to 15 year olds. Um, somehow a test from uh, Christmas ends up, you know, positive in two months, three months later. Right. 
how does that how does that happen? That's sketchy at best as well. Okay, but so in this instance, right? Uh, we have the Russian skater. Um, so we have the Russian skater. Her name is Camila Valieva. She is the favorite to win the gold um, in the team competition. We talked about she um, popped up positive for a heart medicine um, that apparently has been banned since 2014 because it helps the heart pump more blood, um, helps you have more endurance in the competition. As an aside, somehow, somehow, Russian cross-country skier won like five gold medals. How did he have all of that energy laid into the competition that the other people did not? Hmm. I'll leave that. I'll leave that to you to decide. Okay. (laughs) Back to this. Back to this, Jeff. All right. Um, So the ruling came down um, after our podcast two weeks ago. Uh, The the Valieva could skate, but any competition she meddled in would not have a medal ceremony since she was still under investigation for that positive drug test. Right. So let me, let me just say that again. She could skate in the competitions, right? But if she meddled, the competition would not have a medal ceremony since she was still under investigation um, for that positive drug test. So she could she could go, but if she won, eh, there's no celebration. So not only does this not punish the Russians yet again, because she's competing, This punishes all the other countries and skaters who have medaled in the team competition or could medal in the individual women's competition. She was a gold favorite, right? So anybody else that got a medal or could have gotten a medal, uh, sorry about your medal ceremony. Sorry about that thing that you've been looking forward to your whole entire life. Eh, not going to have it. Well, you know, she was a favorite. She was a lock to win the gold, right? But sometimes in sports and what we like about sports is that these things don't quite always happen like we expect. Um, and in one of the most absurd early morning television programs I've ever watched, um, Balieva th- fell three times in her, in her long program. Um, I don't think she necessarily threw the routine on purpose, but her coach definitely was like, why did you give up? (laughs) First thing off the ice, why did you give up? Um, She kind of seemed like she was disheartened to say the least, but um, she fell three times in her long program and she was off the podium, fourth place, despite all that. So there would be a medal ceremony after all. Um, The, but then complete and total bedlam broke loose on the figure skating world. Um, the Russians were um, consoling Valieva and criticizing her, I guess, for, for falling. Um, and the real gold medalist, Anna Sherbakova, uh, nobody congratulated her for like 10 minutes. She stood there with her stuffed animal and just kind of stared off into space, waiting for something to happen, uh, which was also quite sad. Additionally, the rest of the Russian contingent was dealing with the third Russian skater who got silver, who was yelling in the corner that everyone got a gold except for her. She hates this sport. She's not going out there and uh, bawling her eyes out. So (laughs) obviously it was um, drama filled TV. Um, Everything just kind of fell apart 
with Valieva falling apart. Um, obviously, congrats to Sherbakova, who at the ripe old age of 17 is probably going to be too old for the next Olympics for the Russian team. They tend to um, pick people who are 16, 17, 15. She's going to be way over the hill by their, uh, by their standards at that point. Plus, there, I'm sure there's probably an 11th year old, 11 year old in their, in their program right now who can pull off a five spin, a penta spin, hexa spin, no hexa six. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm still, I'm still workshopping the name. Um, so that was, uh, my gosh, I was so, so very dramatic. I, I definitely gonna have to ask him what he thinks about that because I don't know. It was, it was, it was something, it was very unique, something, um, that, uh, has a lot, a lot, a lot to, to talk about there. Um, but on to the good. And, and speaking of ripe old age, um, the highs for me around were around the sport of snowboard cross, which uh, checks a lot of Olympic boxes for me. So there's a lot of things that I look for when I'm looking for an Olympic sport. Um, number one, it was live in prime time in the U.S. Live sports are much better than the, the recorded sports that they've already that I've already done, um, specifically the mixed men's and women's event. Um, and so all of the heats. And all of the um, and, and the final were just one after the other after the other, all in prime time. It was excellent. Um, there was a U.S. medal challenger, right? So there's a U.S. team in the mixed men's and women's who was uh, challenging for a medal. Um, the sport is a non-judged sport. Back to you know uh, skating, right? Uh, it's a non-judged sport. First team down the hill, you win. That's it. End of story. Um, and I always and. I always love a good redemption angle, right? So um, Lindsay Jacob Bellis, the, the women's uh, competitor in the, the mixed uh, snowboard cross, uh, fell in the 2014 Olympics uh, in, in the singles women um, competition when she was way ahead and tried to pull a fancy little trick at the end and she fell and she lost. She got redemption, obviously, in the women's competition, winning gold, but her partner in the mixed competition was Nick Baumgartner, who as the announcers were happy to tell us over and over again, was 40 years old. Jacob Bellas was 36. It was amazing that they were even walking out there, according to the announcers. They didn't need a walker or some sort of cane to snowboard cross down the course. Um, it was remarkable seeing them out there. But all of that being said, we joke about the announcers over over uh, talking about the the elder statesmen and women of, of their sport. But um, it was another good thing for me to see in that sport. You love to see the um, people who are, you know, three times the age of, of um, Valieva out there still competing. So um, Nick Baumgartner, obviously uh, previously in the Olympics lost in the um, men's snowboard cross did not make the final um, gave kind of a teary uh, interview to NBC talking about how his Olympics were over. He didn't win anything. He missed even the consolation race because he was um, so down in the dumps. Um, but they, the U.S. paired him up with Lindsay Jacob Ellis in the mixed teams. So he had another chance, a redemption chance here. Um, snowboard cross obviously isn't a big revenue sport like skiing, like the traditional downhill skiing or snowboarding um, half pipe. Right. So Baumgartner doesn't have money from U.S. snowboarding for his training. He works at a construction site doing concrete uh, during the week and trains on the weekends. Um, so 
is kind of a, you know, icing on the cake of, of, uh, you know, a person to root for a sport to root for. Um, they kept going down the hill. They kept, um, uh, getting, uh, into position to continue to advance the top two, top two, top two, top two. And then, um, he took the lead in his half and, um, kept it close. And Lindsay Jacob Ellis won the end of it. Um, the, another thing I loved about the sport was how the, all the competitors really were rooting for each other. You could see at the end of the race, the, the men waiting for the women to come down and finish the race all had their arms on each other cheering, uh, obviously for their own team, but, um, it was very, um, wonderful to see the teams all kind of rooting for each other and giving each other hugs after, um, after the event and seeing kind of a positive, uh, team focused teamwork, cross country, everything that you like to see in an Olympic sport right there in my new favorite sport, snowboard cross. So put it on with modern pentathlon on the board of the DSE, the podcast Olympic sports. All right. So now we're going to talk about the Harden trade, Harden Simmons trade. So let's talk about this as I've talked about it with pretty much every one of my neighbors as we're walking down the street with the kids. Um, so we talked about it two weeks ago as, as something that could happen. I felt like it might happen as it got closer and closer and closer. It felt like it, it, it would eventually happen. And it did. So the Sixers traded James, uh, traded for James Harden and Paul Millsap for, uh, two first round picks, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and Ben Simmons. So, um, let's talk about this from kind of each, each team side first. So, um, from the Sixer side, so they basically replace somebody, um, into a spot where they had nobody playing. Simmons was not playing. Simmons was out holding out, had mental health problems that were preventing him from competing. Um, and obviously everybody, you know, believes him that he has kind of, uh, blocks on, uh, playing, um, and certainly didn't want to come back to Philadelphia and relive those. Um, and I think at, at some point, neither, neither did the team, neither did the fans. Um, so it was probably best for everybody that he move on. And so luckily for the Sixers, I guess Harden became available. He kind of pooped in another pool. <laughs> he pooped, pooped in another pool in less than a year. Uh, serial poop, pool pooper. <laughs> oh God, I need to get some sleep. All right. Um, and uh, so he, he asked for a trade, worked his way to the Sixers. Um, and so the Sixers get a many time all-star, a player who is just probably just starting the downslope of his, his career. Um, but he's still one of the 10 or 15 best players in the NBA. I think we could say when he tries, um, which has been few and far between, unfortunately, the last couple of years. So we'll see what it looks like when he is, um, engaged with the Sixers, hopefully he's engaged with the Sixers. Um, but I think the fit, obviously, with Joel Embiid is a bit complicated. But the Harden gives the Sixers uh, a player who can shoot, who 
can pass, who can dribble. All all of those things, right? You can do all of those things from the perimeter at the end of the game. A guy that they have not had in, I don't know. I don't know the last time they've had that player. It's been a very long time. So I think that on paper is great. Um, Harden needs the ball. Embiid needs the ball. Um, I, I, I think there's enough ball to go around. However, that Embiid's offense is kind of isolation. Harden's offense is kind of isolation and based through pick and roll with maybe a rolling big. Embiid is a big, but he's not a rolling big. Um, he doesn't like to roll. He likes to short roll or pick and pop. And um, I don't know how that's going to work. Is he going to start rolling? Is Harden going to try something else? Are they going to have somebody else um, pick for him? I don't know. Well, that'll take some working out in the second half of the season. And you know what? It's must-see TV. You got to watch. Um, this sixer season was kind of without Simmons. I kind of thought, ah, it's a wash, right? Then Embiid started playing at MVP level. Okay, got to watch this. Then they get James Harden. And the GM of the Sixers says, the year to win is right now. It's right now. They have to win right now. That's their focus. So now, you know what? Now the pressure's on. Now I'm feeling the pressure. Now I got to watch the Sixers and feel pressure again. As we all know, what happened last year when I felt pressure. when they That was a horrible playoff series against the Atlanta Hawks. Um, dreadful. Um, so we got to do that all over again. Get the mailbox ready. Um, so obviously that is going to be an interesting fit. The other thing I worry about a little bit with James Harden, obviously he's getting older, but he, his playoff clutch performances, he hasn't had a good one. Let's just put it that way. A lot of two for 11s. Um, his, his good games have been in kind of, uh, meaningless games. His, his clutch scoring is pretty putrid. Um, only really when, you know, they let him score when, you know, they're up six, the other team's up six or something with a couple seconds left. So I want to see how he does in those situations um, because he's come up small in the playoffs in the past. Uh, and and Bede hasn't come up small in the playoffs, but at, at the end of the game, it gets very difficult for him to score. The refs swallow the whistle. They're not going to call a foul on him. He's big. He's a big man, so he's getting pushed around a lot. Um, by the end of the game, he's he's pretty tired, right? So um, I'd be very interested to see how end of games work um, when the defense is trying hard. So let's then go to the net side. So the Nets are adding Ben Simmons and Seth Curry and, and Andre Drummond. Um, Drummond and Curry can't play in the playoffs, so... Uh, I think it's better off just leaving them alone for now. Um, but they get a player in Ben Simmons who hypothetically, hypothetically is the emphasis here, fits their team well. Kyrie is a scorer. Durant is, a, you know, top three player in the NBA, can do everything, um, fits with anybody. Simmons, oh yeah, he could be Draymond Green. Does he want to be Draymond Green? Did we talk about this two weeks ago? I don't know if he wants to be Draymond Green. He wants to be a point guard who doesn't shoot. He wants to be uh, uh, all NBA defender when he wants to be. Um, he wants to get out in transition. But Durant is is better in transition? Yeah, sure, probably. Is Kyrie better in transition? Sure, probably. Um, it, would he be happy being a defense and rebounding guy? I don't know. Maybe not. Um, so I don't know how that's going to work out, um, let alone... Durant is still hurt. 
let alone Kyrie as a part-time player, only in um, away games, as long as the vaccine mandate in New York is, is continues to be upheld. It's amazing to me the, the, um, the power over the NBA <laughs> ecosystem that the mayor of New York has, um, that you know, with a stroke of his pen could reinstate Kyrie into a, be a full-time player. That's remarkable what, what that, so these are the situations that we're in. However, back to Ben Simmons. Um, he obviously is still struggling with his mental health blocks. So mental health troubles and working his way back. My guess is that he doesn't come back until Durant is back. Um, that will take some weight off of his, um, shoulders and, I think if the basketball gods give us a Brooklyn versus Philadelphia playoff series, it will be talk about Bedlam boy. Oh boy. That's going to be crazy. Um, the six or seven Brooklyn Nets fans are going to be fired up. Um, and, um, what else did I want to say about that? Um, so will Ben Simmons be, want to be a Draymond Green type? I mean, he's always talked about wanting to be, uh, a star on his own. He got a little jealous of Embiid's stardom. Um, so how's he going to be being a third fiddle? I don't know. We'll see. I'm sure he will like the situation better than Philadelphia. So that one also bears watching. That one is going to be a circus when Ben Simmons comes back. Um, and that one as a NBA just, just loves the circus. Uh, it's going to be a circus. So um, I, I think that's pretty much all I have to say on that one. Um, it's going to be interesting. We're going to have to watch to see what happens. There's so many question marks. Both teams, the Sixers and Brooklyn, did get better, I think. Uh, they have players who want to play for them, so they're going to play, um, versus how it was before where they had guys who weren't playing. So um, I think that gives both of them a boost up in the rankings and maybe a boost down for teams like Milwaukee and Boston and um Miami who are like, Oh, these guys have guys who are want to play now. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting in the playoffs. We'll, and we'll talk about it when we get there. We're, we're at the, um, we're at the NBA all-star break. Um, but there's some good teams are going to lose in the first round in the playoffs in the East. Yeah. At least two good teams are going to lose. So it's, it's going to be, um, you know, uh, rooting for a Philadelphia based sports team is tough. You, but you always got to guard yourself and know that, you know what? It's going to end in disaster. It's going to end in uh, sadness. It's going to end in, uh, I don't know, uh, heartbreak is probably the best way to put it. So uh, I don't see any other way this goes than the Sixers end in heartbreak. Maybe in the first round. Oh, that would be brutal. Um, I hope not. All right. Um, let's Let's move on to, oh, a lighter topic. Our, our MLB panic meter. Um, the, I don't like that I'm following this so closely and I don't want to be following this as closely as I am, but MLB is meeting with the MLB players association in Jupiter, Florida all this week. So they're having face-to-face meetings for a whole week. Remarkable, amazing idea. Um, because start basically on February 28th, which is five days away. Um, if they don't have a deal by then, they're going to start to miss games. And so the deadlines for actions here in this case um, 
and this one is definitely going down to the 11th hour. Both teams are both teams, both sides are, are looking at the other one, trying to see if who's going to blink first. And, uh, I don't see any other way that this goes, then it goes down to the 11th hour. Um, I still think they get a job done, um, at the 11th hour, they don't lose games too many games or they, they find a way to, to rejigger a game or two. I don't think that they, I don't think that they actually lose games. Um, I think they get it done at the 11th hour. Still that all being said, my panic meter is still at seven, eight. Um, the, the poss the, the possibility of game losing is so close now, um, that I just, the panic meter has to stay high until they get something done. So next week, hopefully, um, we will know what they got done. Let's say that. Let's put that positive thought out there into the universe. All right. Uh, enough of me talking. 32 minutes of me talking. That's way too much. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, as always, um, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right. So keep your eyes glued to the MLB CBA negotiations so we can start our fantasy baseball drafts. Come on, guys. Think about what's important fantasy baseball drafts and keep your ears glued to dynasty sports empire the podcast and we'll talk to you next week all right here's where i did the music talked for 32 minutes there could have been anything that i missed um i gotta watch that two word cross final